Well, it's been almost three months since that surreal September evening when several tornadoes ripped through the Ottawa-Gatineau area. You may remember exactly where you were when that took place. Depending on where you live in the city, you may have experienced days without power at home. This event was shocking. It was surreal. It was overwhelming. Uh, the area that I live in my neighborhood, Arlington Woods, uh, we had gigantic trees ripping through homes, flung through the houses, and they're still being renovated as we speak. Arlington Woods will never be the same again. And if you haven't walked through the neighborhood, chances are that you can't quite grasp the intensity of what happened that day. Though news articles and videos uh, tried to capture what happened with the, the massive tornadoes, they couldn't quite get it. One of the phrases that kept coming up as we were talking to people in our neighborhood was, it's so surreal, it's so surreal. I'm sure the people of Israel could tell us about the day that God showed up and that they would say the same thing. It's so surreal. Because if tornadoes ripping through a neighborhood is surreal, which it is, Surely when the God of heaven comes down, it is even more so. This morning we'll look at this shocking and overwhelming event together. While words can't capture all that took place that day, we'll consider what the Bible has to tell us. Last week, Pastor Matt showed us how God revealed himself and made covenant with his people through the Ten Commandments. Both Exodus and Deuteronomy explain this scene with harmony. And remember, Moses is reteaching this history to the new generation of Israel before they go into the promised land. So we're going to take a few minutes to read some verses from Exodus 19 to bring us into the context of today's text. So Exodus 19 captures a complementary perspective on this climactic event at the mountain. Here's what Exodus 19 says as it captures in words what happens when God shows up and comes down to meet with his people before they receive the law. Exodus 19, verses 16 to 25 says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sion was, Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Can you imagine that? And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Shocking, surreal, overwhelming event that's happening here. 
God shows up in a powerful way and he instructs Moses to restrain the people or else God's very presence will break out against them. This is the ultimate threat. Don't let them come up here or else they'll meet their maker literally. So the people wait behind the fences, the limits that Moses sets up. Then God speaks in the Ten Commandments, which we saw last week. And our passage today captures the rest of the scene. So will you please stand with me as we hear God speak in his word from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22 says... These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had a heart such as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you, You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left, right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you'd speak to us, that we would meet with you, that you'd show up, convict our hearts, Grant us freedom in Christ. Speak by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this is the scene that Moses is recalling. God shows up to meet his people and his very presence is overwhelming the people. There's lightning, there's thunder, and the the mountain is smoking. In this passage, the first thing that we see is that when God comes down to meet his people, he speaks clearly. Look at verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Many people say that they'll believe in God if he speaks directly to them. 
But here, when God spoke in the Ten Commandments, Israel heard God speak directly and they wanted Him to stop. In this scene, the supernatural God spoke out of nature. Verse 22 says He spoke with a loud voice. And Exodus 19 says He answered Moses in thunder. So not only is there thunder, lightning, and thick darkness when God shows up, but He's also screaming through the elements. Their ears are probably ringing at this uh, moment as they hear the volume of God's voice and their consciences might be stinging because the clear commands of Scripture have exposed them. Not to mention when God speaks, God is present. He is there. So they're in God's presence now, and how do they respond to it? Verse 22, sorry, verse 23. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. It was generally understood in the Old Testament that if you saw God... You were going to die. In fact, Samson's dad, when he met God, says confidently, we shall surely die for we have seen God. <laughs> okay, it's coming. We're going to die. Uh, so it's natural that these people had an emotional reaction to seeing God. And as verse 24 says, they saw God's glory and goodness and they were still breathing. So they were enamored at that fact. Now, glory, this word glory, shows up all throughout the Scriptures, doesn't it? And glory in the Old Testament has the idea of weight, or worth, or splendor. And goodness has the idea of goodwill, benevolence. So, God is a good God. He doesn't have mixed motives or hidden agendas. He desires the well-being of mankind, and that's all there is to it. These are attractive qualities, this glory and goodness, aren't they? So, it begs the question, why would they think that seeing God's glory and His goodness would kill them? Certainly, we can say that His presence and His clear commands in the Ten Commandments expose our sin, absolutely. But also consider that his glory and goodness are on display, and those are attractive, beautiful qualities. Listen to Jonathan Edwards. He uh, once argued in a sermon on the text that said God dwells in an unapproachable light. He argued that the reason we can't see God and live is not dread of His wrath or His justice, but because, and I quote, God is arrayed with an infinite brightness that fills with excess of joy and delight, so that the joy and pleasure in beholding would be too strong for our frail nature. Did you get that? It's Jonathan Edwards. It's hard to read sometimes. But we can't see God because our bodies would explode with joy and delight if we got a full glimpse of His full glory. Charles Spurgeon says something similar referring to times when we get glimpses of God's love. He says this, 
Some of us know at times what it is like to be almost too happy to live. (laughs) If the glory had not been veiled a little, we should have died of excess of rapture or happiness. God's glory and goodness is too much for our weak bodies to handle. If we saw God's glory and goodness unveiled, we would die of happiness. He is good, isn't he? He is glorious. He's too much for us to handle, and so he must be veiled. And John Owen makes a point to say that he is veiled in this thick darkness because that glory, that brightness is overwhelming. Back in Moses' time, they didn't have Bibles like we do today. But today, we can hear God speak clearly and gloriously each time we open up this book. Each time. Have you experienced the happiness and the delight of hearing God speak in Scripture? I think a lot of us have, and I think a lot of us sing like that because we have experienced that, and we want more of that, don't we? One of the reasons we come to church today is to say, oh, I'm, I'm empty, I need more. Now that delight, that joy, that happiness that we feel, it's overwhelming, isn't it? <laughs> now what's so twisted about our hearts is that We can come to the Scriptures. We can come to hear God speak. And then we can apply the text to someone else. (laughs) You know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. (laughs) You're reading a verse, and that verse comes, uh, someone pops in your mind as you're reading that verse, and you get all fired up and start getting emphatic about how someone else needs this verse. All the while, God is saying to us, I'm talking to you. Are you listening? The question is, do we hear him? A mark of a true Christian is that they hear Jesus' voice and they follow him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Do you hear Jesus' voice? Are you listening? Are you following him? He has a word for us. Last week, hip-hop artist Chance the Rapper surprised a lot of people on Instagram. Maybe you saw this. He announced that he's taking time off for his first sabbatical to learn the Bible. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) He said this on Instagram. I'm on a plane headed out of the country on my first sabbatical. I'm going away to learn the Word of God, which I am admittedly very unfamiliar with. I've been brought up by my family to know Christ but I haven't taken it upon myself to really just take a couple days and read my Bible. We all quote Scripture and tell each other what God likes and doesn't like, but how much time do we spend as followers of Jesus to really just read and know His Word? I'm definitely guilty of not devoting time to it, so I'm off to read and learn. How challenging is that? (laughs) Very challenging. I appreciate His humility. You may have heard the phrase, sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin. What's keeping you from hearing God's Word? What's keeping you from hearing Him speak? One of the most amazing things about hearing God speak in His Word is that He Himself actually meets with us personally. And this brings us to our next point. When God comes down to meet His people, He speaks personally. Verse 25, Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us 
if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? In a twist of irony, the people of Israel are astounded that the Lord spoke, the living God spoke, and they lived. So they asked Moses to be their mediator. They ran over to Moses and they're like, so guess what? God spoke to us. And it was shocking. It was overwhelming. It was a little too much for us to take in. Uh, So we figured out a plan. And uh, so here's the plan. From now on, you go speak to God. And uh, we'll hear from you when you come back down. And we'll do whatever you say. Okay? Sound good? They probably have an inflated view of Moses at this time, thinking that he's some sort of special kind of human being, able to be the mediator. So they say, go near. And hear all that the Lord our God will say, verse 27, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear it and do it. Okay? You go talk to God. It's a little too much for us to take in. Here in verse 4 and 5 of this chapter, we're introduced to a pattern in Scripture. People need a mediator. People need a mediator. Since God's powerful presence is too beautiful, too good for us to take in, we can't stand it. Since that is the case, God sends a mediator. Now Moses goes to hear from God and brings down the message to the people. And that is a picture and a finger pointed to the future when God would send the ultimate mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would fulfill this pattern and He would come down as truly God and truly man. As the mediator between sinful people and the holy God. And through Jesus, God speaks personally. He is the Word that comes down personally in human body. He is the Word that comes down to meet with us. He brings and He is God's final Word to mankind. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, like Moses. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So to hear God speak clearly and to hear God speak personally, we must hear Jesus Christ speak. And in Jesus Christ, we see the goodness and the glory of God. So what does Jesus say to us? And if you're new to Christianity, and you're just kind of checking it out right now, I encourage you to um, look up the, the Gospels, uh, either one of those, or all, any, any one of those. Just hear and learn what Jesus has to say. Some of his words are shocking. One of, one of the favorite things that he says, in my opinion, one of my favorite things, is come. He says, come. He says, I know you're running. You're weighed down. Come. I will bring you into freedom. The freedom that you've always longed for, that your heart wants, but you've never tasted. Come. He says, whoever comes to me, I will hold on to them and not let them go. His heart is humble towards us. He speaks gracious words. Look to the Gospels. Gracious, gracious words. Have you ever felt like an outsider? You ever felt like an outsider, even maybe in church? If so, I'm sorry to hear that. 
But Jesus says, come. Have, have you felt like no one cares? Can I get to that in a minute, my friend? Can I come see you after this? Awesome. Thank you. Have you felt that nobody cares? He cared enough to come down from heaven for you. He says, come. Christ stood in the gap for you as your mediator. God speaks personally through Him. But not only does God speak clearly and personally, what's almost unbelievable about this God is that He cares enough to hear and actually know His people. He cares enough to listen to us and get to know us. Have you felt ignored by people? When God comes down to meet His people, He hears and knows them. Verse 28, And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to Me. And the Lord said to Me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Now God knows the heart of His people. And though they probably mean well with their words, they promised more than they could follow through on. They promised more than they could deliver. They say, we'll do whatever you say, God. God says, I appreciate that, but uh, I know you. <laughs> you may have had this experience at church. Surely some of us have. Surely most of us have. We're fe feeling inspired. We're feeling excited. And it's easy to get excited at church, and we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to go on to the top of the mountain. We say we're going to do this and that. We're all excited. Then Monday comes along. Still kind of excited, but it's starting to wear off. Then Tuesday comes along, and uh, our, our heart can't follow through on what our mouth has said. But aren't you glad that Scripture presents our mediator as one who sympathizes with our weaknesses? God knows that when push comes to shove and sin knocks on the door, we forget to fear Him and keep His commandments. And that's the story of all of our hearts. The story of the human heart is the story of Humpty Dumpty, isn't it? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Did he just quote Humpty Dumpty in church? <laughs> it's amazing how these little stories give us glimpses of the truth, isn't it? Our hearts have had a great fall, and nothing can put them back together again. We may know what to do, but we don't have the heart to follow through. The only way our hearts can be put back together is if God gives us new hearts by His Holy Spirit. God knows everything, and He knew that this mountain peak experience for the people of Israel would wear off. He knew they'd stop living like they were in God's presence soon. He knew their hearts were bent on disobedience. But what is his exclamation here? Verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments. And why does God want us to obey him? That it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Here's a good God, ladies and gentlemen. He is a good God. He has our best in mind. He wants His people to obey so that they could enjoy and glorify Him forever. This sounds a lot like Solomon's summary in Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? There Solomon says, This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
Now that's Solomon, who had everything the world could offer, possessed it, owned it, been there, done that. This man experienced it all. And he's saying, the end of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's the best thing you could do. Whether you're considering Christianity or you've been a Christian for a while, this idea of the fear of God might seem like a dreadful topic. But interestingly, Scripture presents it as a good thing. A desirable quality. In Psalm 103, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. So God is compassionate towards those who, are, are, who, who fear Him. Who are walking in the fear of the Lord. So what does it mean to fear God? Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman explains it like this. Fear of God strips away certainty exposes our nakedness and puny self-centeredness and then invites us to know Him, God, as He has chosen to reveal Himself as both holy and merciful. Now the first part of that doesn't sound so appealing. It strips us away and exposes us, but it calls us home. It calls us in. The fear of God is into that relationship with God. So God wants His people to be honest with themselves and to be honest with Him. He doesn't want us to fear Him to keep us at attention like a drill sergeant. He wants us to fear Him because that is the way that we're in a personal relationship with Him. We're invited in. We're welcomed home. So what about you? Have you lost the fear of God? If you're honest and self-aware, you'll see that this command exposes your weakness. And it puts a mirror to your face, showing the reality of all of our hearts. You should be saying, I'm just like the people of Israel. And they're just like me. This verse, it talks about me. And that's true of me too, by the way. Let me speak only, uh, open, openly here. He knows if you're hooking up with someone throughout the week. He knows that your addiction has taken over your life. He knows that the worrying is eating you alive. He knows that you have an insatiable lust for control. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows each and every one of us and sees through our Sunday smiles. Don't kid yourself because you've had a good week. He knows our hearts and our weaknesses. Let's acknowledge that we've come here today not because we're full, but because we're empty. And we need Him. And so we say, we need You, Lord. And what does God say? A little glimpse of His heart here, verse 29 again. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear Me and to keep all My commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. This text teaches that God knows us through and through. And yet this text presents tension because God doesn't grade on a curve. He does require perfect obedience. And yet, He knows our heart. How do we put these two things together? Me and my wife just finished watching the Lord of the Rings movies. And uh, although I've seen the movies several times, uh, this time I was struck at the last scene, the climactic scene where 
Frodo is at, the, at Mordor over the river of fire. You remember this scene? And Sam is behind him, you know, yards away, and he's saying, he's saying uh, go on, throw it in the fire. It's a very awkward scene. Then it goes on for a, lo- a little while, and then he says, what are you waiting for? Like, we're saying it too as we're watching too. Like, what, what are you waiting for, Frodo? Just let it go. Then Frodo has a moment with the ring, and then he turns around in a moment of greed and with a twisted smile on his face, and he says, the ring is mine, and he puts it on. Weird. But it's a powerful scene. (laughs) And you realize that Frodo is just like everyone else in the movie. He has a dark side. Frodo's just like us, isn't he? And we're just like him. We all have a dark side. We buckle under the pressure of temptation and sin. And God knows that. And He says, oh, if they had a heart, that they had a heart to obey Me and fear Me. But unlike Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, Jesus' heart always feared God. He kept all His commandments to the very end. Instead of caving under the pressure, He would finish the mission on the cross. Jesus would come and fulfill this verse, verse 29, for His people. He'd have a heart that feared God and He'd keep all His commandments. As Romans 5.19 says, as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's through Adam. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's through Christ. That's in theological terms, the active obedience of Christ. His life, His record, His obedience uh, to God gets credited to every single Christian. He would die and was raised from the dead to put His flawless obedience in the account of everyone who believes in Him. And the good news is not only that the debt is fulfilled and paid for, but that He gives us new hearts by His Spirit that actually want to fear and keep His his commandments. The love of God changes everything, doesn't it? The glory and goodness of God changes everything. And it moves us to our last point. He commands obedience for our good. Verse 30-33 to says this, Go and say to them, Return to your tents. <coughs> Sorry. But you, stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall, make, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now God will tell Moses um, uh, all the commands and we'll see the rest of that in Deuteronomy 6 as we um, take it up in the new year, as Pastor Matt comes back in the new year to take that up. But he also tells us in this passage what a relationship with God looks like. It's a life of freedom. It's a life of obedience. Of turning away from the little pressures of sin around us on our right and on our left. 
It's a life of walking into God's promises, just as the people walked into the promised land. This is not the comfortable life, but the life of obedience is a life that is keeping close fellowship with God. It's not a comfortable or easy life, as you can recall, because Jesus lived that life of perfect obedience and His life was marked with suffering, betrayal, misrepresentation, and ultimately He would be crucified. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for many years and you attest to the fact that knowing and walking with God is truly the good life. Some of you are walking with God through things that are very difficult now and it's a struggle. But your inner man is being renewed day by day as you walk in obedience to Him. And He's got your good in mind. we need to be reminded that obeying God is for our good. But I want to be extra careful at this last point. Because it's very natural to hear the word obedience and in our hearts hear something different. We hear, try harder. As though God were going to accept us if we obey Him. Did you hear that? As if God were going to accept us if we obey Him. Is that the Gospel? Because it's natural to think that way though. We think God accepts us because uh, we, we think God accepts us because we obey Him and most of us function this way at a heart level day to day. To day. We wouldn't say it maybe, but we, we function that way day to day. We think God loves us because we're being good kids. Our hearts want to resist the grace and the goodness and the love of God. But I think Scripture teaches gospel-motivated obedience. And gospel-motivated obedience says He accepts me, the gospel, justification. Therefore, I want to obey Him. Sanctification, walking with God, growing in godliness. Remember last week, Pastor Matt reminded us that God saved Israel from Egypt before giving them the Ten Commandments. He saved them. And this is the pattern. And this is the way it is. He frees us. Then He calls us to live as though we're free. He commands our obedience because He has accepted us. Don't you love Romans 12? Doesn't it change the way you see Romans 12? In view of God's mercies, Romans 1-11, through in view of God's mercies, since He has been merciful to me, since He has done this for me in Christ, in view of God's mercies, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Walk it out. That's gracious words. That's good news for our hearts. That's liberating. That's acceptance. Do you know this freedom? Do you know this acceptance? If you do, take one of those invites from the bulletin and give it to a neighbor or a family member. Invite them to church to hear about this message. Tell the people around you. You'll only find this acceptance and you'll only find this freedom in the God who came down in person at Christmas. He showed up in person at Christmas. Do you know Him? It's so surreal, isn't it? Let it overwhelm you again. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you for your glory and goodness. It changes us. We don't quite know exactly what it all means to us, but we want more of you in our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd meet every single one of us here. If we're inquiring, we got a whole slew of questions, Lord. Reach us, speak to us. If we're in need of a refresher, refresh us, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.